0: you've never sat on the front row and heard that song sang, you are really and truly missing out. It's such a beautiful song to hear everyone singing. It really just kind of sets the stage, if you will, to, for worship. Uh, my prayer every time that I preach is that I, I do not mess up worship, that I do not cause confusion by the words that I say or do not teach false doctrine. But I say that when I was studying with Larry before I became a Christian, I was asking a lot of questions because I had no religious background. I was always told when I would come to services at Lithia that the church at Lithia Springs does things by the Bible. We do Bible things by Bible ways. And if you want to know the truth or or if you want to see it in the biblical, ask and we'll show you. And so therefore, I would ask questions. Why do you do this? Why do we do this? Why don't we have this? And so I would go through and Larry and a few other men would show me verse by verse and answer each question biblically. My prayer is, is that if someone was to ask you that, that you would be able to do the same thing. I fear that as New Testament Christians, we sometimes are becoming lazy in our biblical studies. And I'm not saying to anyone in general, I'm just saying as speaking as a whole, a lot of people that you talk to don't feel comfortable with teaching the Gospel to people. They, they're nervous. And I understand I'm nervous. I get nervous standing here. I get nervous talking to someone at Walmart. There's nothing wrong with being nervous. I think it's once you get past that stage of being nervous is that when you can become in error so to speak. So I said all that to say this. Tonight we're going to look at how the, new t- uh, the first century church worship, the things that they did, and we're going to look and see if it matches up with what we do here at Bobby Branch. When we look around the denominational world, I would venture to say that everyone here except for maybe one, Monica, drives by a denominational church building on the way to services. I would venture to say that you might see a sign and read something they say on their sign and you could say, well, that's not exactly true. Maybe they do have a great sign and it's something that is true. Maybe that's something that you you look at and you try to see what is true, what is not, and then you go and search the Scriptures yourself to find out. But when we look into the denominational world, we see confusion. We see various teachings. We see all these things that are not true with the Word of God. They believe man-made doctrines. They have creed books. They believe in philosophy and theologies. Sadly to say this, just because the building says Church of Christ does not mean that that's the same with them because sadly some of the Lord's church have gone astray. So this evening we're going to look at 11 points. So Tony had two this morning, so he cut you short. I'm going to go long. So we have 11 points this evening. I'm only going to spend a few minutes with each point. So the first century church simply relied upon the Word of God. Romans 10 verse 17, with faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So in order to have faith, you must hear the Word of God. In James 1 and verse 21, it says, Receive with meekness the engrafted Word of God, or written Word. Are you receiving the Word of God with meekness? Do you sit in the pews and enjoy what you're hearing, or are you sitting there, I wish he would hurry up. You know, I just told you 11 points. Are you mad that I have 11 points, or are you excited to hear these 11 points? John eight thirty two it says, seek and ye shall know the truth for the word of God is truth. In John seventeen seventeen sanctify them through thy truth thy word is truth. In John twelve verse forty eight he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words, the same word will judge him in the later day. The word of God is what they relied on, not some man made doctrine, not some opinion of a man, but the word of God. If you will go to Acts chapter five. And we're going to look at a verse real quick. Acts chapter 5. And verse 29. Talking about the denominational world and how they have their man-made written books and their opinions. Verse 29 says, that Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. We should simply rely on the Word of God and not... Man written books or creed books. You could also go to Matthew 15, verses 8 and 9, where it talks about, with their mouth they honor me, and with their lips they confess me, but in vain do they worship me. In my mind, I picture that as, I'm a Christian, I say it with my mouth, but my actions say otherwise. Are we living that life? I fear that none of us are. I pray that none of us are. We could go to Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19 where it says, if you add to the Word of God, the plagues of this book that are written in this book will be added unto you. If you take away from this book, your name will be taken from the Lamb's Book of Life and removed out of that holy city. I think about the denominational world. Do they not read these verses? Do they not study and see this? Or do they just simply ignore it to please men? The first century church was also identified by a name. Go back to Acts and go to Acts chapter two and verse forty seven. It says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Romans sixteen, sixteen says, The church of Christ salutes you. You can look at Acts twenty, verse twenty eight, where it says, The church that was purchased with his blood. And 1 Timothy 3.15, talks about how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the church, which is the house of God. They were identified as the church. The church is not a building. It's the people that come and worship God in the building. Have you ever heard someone say that names aren't important? It does not matter what's on the sign outside. Well, I beg to differ. In a simple illustration that I was told was, you write me a check for $5,000 and don't sign it and let me put my name on it. If a name doesn't matter then just give me the check. Of course the name matters. It carries weight. The first century Christians were also called disciples. And the disciples were, if you study through the book, are also called Christians. And if we go to Acts chapter 11, we'll read verse 26. Acts 11 and 26, and it says, And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians, first in Antioch. We could also go to Acts 26 and 28 where uh, it said, almost persuaded me to be a Christian. In 1 Peter 4.16, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him be glorified. They had a name. And we look around our our denominational world that we live in, and you see so many different church names on these signs. And people call themselves these different names. None of those are found in the Bible. Christians is what they were called. And that's what the Bible tells us. The first century church also believed that the power was in the gospel, not in the speakers. You see, some people believe that some certain caliber speakers are what changes your life. It's not the messenger, it's the message. Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. Now when they heard this, what did they hear? They heard the word of God. They heard the gospel. They were pricked in their heart and asked Peter, what shall we do? They heard the gospel. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Sometimes and. And I'll be honest with you, I remember just recently with about a year ago sitting at a doctor's office and the gentleman asked me, what do I do? And I was at the Memphis School of Preaching and I almost cowered down and just said, oh, I'm just a student. And I had that slight moment of of temptation, if you will, to not even inform this man of the church. Yet here I am in Memphis School of Preaching, studying to become a better student of the word. And yet I was ashamed of the gospel. Let that not be said of us. Let us go out and boldly proclaim the Word of God. James one twenty one talking about the engrafted Word. In Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is quick, it's alive, it's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Nothing that I can say can change your life and change your world, but what the Bible says can. I've heard people pray and, uh, in the denominational world and, They'll say, God, send me a sign so I'll know when I should be a Christian. Send me a, a letter from a church, and that's where I'll go. See, God don't operate that way. You become a Christian when you obey the Word of God, when you obey the New Testament plan of salvation, because you must have faith, and it comes by hearing, according to Romans ten 17. First century church, they had an obedient faith. You will go to 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll read verse 22. Seeing that you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Seeing that you have purified, you've left this wicked world, and now you have purified your heart and become a Christian. We could also go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. It says, those that gladly receive the word. We could also go to Hebrews chapter 11, where it's the Hebrews, the hall of fame, if you will, of those that are faithful. And when we look into the denominational world, we see you can be saved by faith only. Well, that's not true. We read of the plan of salvation where there are five steps, if you will, that you must do in order to become a Christian. Faith only is nowhere is not found anywhere in Scripture. And if you will, let's go to James chapter 2 and verse 19. Because if you say faith alone, let's see what the Scripture says. James chapter 2 and verse 19. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe. So faith only, you're saying that the devils did something that you don't even require to do. The devils believed. Faith only is, is, nowhere, is not in Scripture because James stated, Show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. I often tell our high school class that people should know you're a Christian by your example, not by what you say. They should be able to see you, you are different and live in your life differently, not just off of your words. First century church was also buried in baptism Acts 2.38, talking about being repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. And let's go to Romans chapter 6. Because this answers a lot of questions that the denominational world just completely ignore. Romans chapter 6, we're we'll going to read the first four verses. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid... How shall we we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into His death? Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. This three or four verses right here completely answer what so many people in the denominational world ignore by dipping or pouring or sprinkling or just walk to the front and say a prayer and you become a Christian. It says you must be baptized, which is being buried just like as Christ was. We could go to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12, buried with Him in baptism. Go to Galatians chapter 3 and 26 and 27, baptized into Christ. Yet people just choose to ignore these verses. Choose to overlook them and not even teach them. Because so many people today teach to sprinkle or pour whatever the choice you could choose. I was in class one day and uh, some people came by the school and dropped off some literature for their beliefs. And on there was an invitation card in this little pamphlet. It said, would you like to be baptized? Would you like to be sprinkled? Would you like to have a prayer in order to become a Christian? This church was offering anything that you could want or desire in order for the people to come to their so-called church. The first century church also believed that the baptism was for the remission of their sins. Acts 2.38 again talks about in Acts 22, verse 16, Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized for the remission of your sins. And Revelation 1, and verse 5 talks about that Jesus' blood is what w- washes our sins away. And people today just choose to ignore this. And I don't understand why. I think a lot of it has to do with, well, this is how I've always been raised. This is how Mama did it. This is how Daddy did it. Well, we should be completely relying upon the Word of God and not a man-made written book. 1 Peter 3.21 talks about how baptism also does now save us. So if baptism and following the New Testament Scripture saves us, why are other people not teaching this? Is the question. And as I, was looking, as I was talking to Tony earlier this week about, or last week about this, this, this sermon and trying to get ideas, he gave me two books for me to look over. And one is the, the Baptist Church Manual, and one is the Book of Discipline of the United Methodist Church. And as I was reading this little book, I noticed on page 17 and 18 a section titled How Members Should Be Received into the Baptist Church. And it states by experience and baptism or by letters of this mission, this mission from a sister church. It goes on to say if the person has a letter that says that they were a qualified person in their congregation, you should accept them. If they have experience, they should be able to share experiences with you. And therefore, you should just take them at their word. Then if they pass that stage, then it says that they should go before a vote in the congregation basically the family or the man or the individual would come and stand forward and they would say that this man is uh, approved, so to speak, and then the congregation there would vote to see if he is allowed to become a member of their church. That's not what the scripture says. If you will go back to Acts chapter 2, verse 47, I know we read it a while ago. We want to see, I want to make sure we understand who adds us to the church. And it says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Why do people believe or choose to believe what these men are teaching them? I heard it as a joke, and it's sad to say that it's, it's somewhat true, that religion is like walking into Walmart and going down the cereal aisle where there's hundreds of choices on this 60-foot aisle and 7-foot tall. There's choices of any kind that you could choose. And they related that to church. Just pick one of your choice. You'll be fine. Jesus loves us. He's not going to send you to hell. And it should not be that way because we should be teaching the truth. We should be out knocking the doors. We should be out here promoting the gospel because they are. And yet we're losing this battle. The first century church also also worshiped according to God's plan. John 4 and verse 24 says that they that worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. And so I wanted to look at, and this was a critical part when I was studying, before I was converted, to understand why we did what we did. And I'm thankful for the men that took the time to go verse by verse and answer each question. And so the first question I asked was, why do we not have instruments? Why do we not have a choir? Why do we not have... Somebody that can just really sing up there leading us in song, and we're just sitting there listening. And so we turn to Colossians 3.16 and Ephesians 5.19, and it says nowhere does it mention instruments. Nowhere does it mention a solo act, if you will. Nowhere does it mention having the choir. It says sing and make melody in your heart, with praise unto the Lord. But you can look around the denominational world where they have everything but that, so to speak. They have the bands, they have the choirs, they have the solos. They have people in the, in the audience with their own microphones so that way they're not up front. You see, it's not about what you and I like, it's about what pleases God. So then I asked about the Lord's Supper. I've always known that according to what I was told, people took the Lord's Supper on Easter and at Christmas, you know, once or twice a year. Here where I was attending, they were taking it every week. I didn't understand that. And so he simply opens the Bible to Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. and says, the first, or the first century church, they partook of the Lord's Supper weekly. And he said, it's in remembrance. And as I was sitting there wondering, you know, why should we have to do this each week? I don't understand. And then as I was in school, I kind of figured it out. Repetition is a great thing. A lot of these verses while I was in school, I could quote from memory. And here I am, I'm struggling. I have it on the screen, but I'm still struggling. But if I was to stay studying the same scriptures, I would still have them memorized. Repetition. We should not get into to the, uh, the mode or, or in the mindset to where it's just repetitious to us. But it should be a recall or a, a reminder as to why we're taking this. Because Christ died for our sins. I'm afraid that I am guilty of this. That it's just another check on my list. Let's get up and take the Lord's Supper. Okay, I'm done with that one. I got two more acts of services and then I'm done. Can't have this mindset and be worshiping God in spirit and truth, as John four twenty four said. So then I understood as we studied the scriptures that we are to sing with our voices only. We're to take of the Lord's Supper. And then it comes to the giving. Well, every religious organization take does giving once a week. I would venture to say that they probably do it any time that you want them to. You can give online, you could have a yard sale. You could have a car wash. You could sell donuts. You could do whatever you want to, and they'll take your money. Well, then we started studying First Corinthians sixteen one and 2, and I was always baffled at why we can't have a yard sale out here and, and have all the funds come in and, or have a car wash. We could have all these the youth come out and have a car wash. We should be able to provide what we need for the church by the members that we have here, by the giving that they give, week in and week out. And I think that that's a true statement for us here at Bobby because I've seen your giving. I've seen the, the amount of money that you're willing to give to help those that are in need across this nation. So then we go through there, and then I'm asking Larry, I said, well, I notice that every time you preach, you're preaching from the Scriptures. I said, there's some other sermons that I've heard before, you know, on the radio or while I'm at work, and I'll hear a, great, uh, a lot of application. I'll hear a lot of stories. Why don't you ever tell stories? Why can't you uh, tell a story that's sad and gets me, you know, on the borderline of crying? And then you tell me how to become a Christian, and then now I'm obeying the gospel based off of my emotion. And he said, Let's look at what the first-century church did. He said they simply preached the word. They preached what the Bible. They preached what they were taught, which is the word of God. We have to preach it in season and out of season. We can't just choose when to preach and when not to preach. We've been blessed, and I've been blessed for the last six months to be here, to be able to hear Tony preach week in and week out for the most part. Some places don't have that. While I was in school, I would travel around, and some congregations, they were watching a DVD of somebody preaching from 20 years ago possibly, watching the same DVDs. Some people, some congregations, when I would show up, I was the song leader. I was the man who worked on the table. I was the preacher. I said all the prayers. You see it's a blessing when you have a congregation this full of people that are willing to speak and willing to teach first century church also pray fervently to the father first Thessalonians 5:17 it says pray without ceasing I've heard a lot of prayer said um, from my side of the family where they pray to Jesus they'll pray to Mary they'll pray to, to anybody some departed saint so to speak you know just a mixture of things and I've always been confused by that and they just say, hey, whatever makes you happy, that's what we're going to do. And that's not true. We have to pray to our Father through Jesus. Are we worshiping as God has commanded us? I believe we are here at Bobby Branch. And I'm proud to say that. And it is, I said earlier, just because the Church of Christ is on the sign outside does not mean that you're a true representative of the Lord's Church. Also, the first century church believed that the wicked would be punished eternally. And I think this is a, uh, an area where we don't hear a, necessarily a lot of preaching from because it kind of will scare you, so to speak, to, to think about where you would spend eternity if in your current state, in your current situation. If you will, let's go to First Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to read verse 9. First Thessalonians chapter one and verse nine. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. It's hard to turn from your idols to serve the living and true God. Imagine in their day, and I'm sure Tony could go on with the stories that he's seen in the Bible lens of the idols and the I have a friend that's from India. He's in school right now. And he showed me pictures of some of the idols that they worship. And it's mind-boggling to see these figures that they worship. But they turned and worshipped God because they feared where they would spend eternity. I was talking to a sister just uh, just a little while ago before services. And she said, if you're not a Christian, and just like Tony was mentioning this morning that today is the day of salvation, that you should not be waiting and should not be prolonging or waiting for this perfect day. And this sister kind of just said something that kind of just hit me. I was like, I've never thought of that. And she says, if you have a child and you're not a Christian and your child is seeing you not be a Christian, the child is eventually going to ask questions. Where would, how would you feel if your child's in heaven and you're not? Imagine how your child would feel Where's mama? Or where's daddy? That alone should be enough to to make you think and say, you know what, this life I'm living is not worth putting my child through that hurt and pain. I know there's no tears in heaven, but I I don't know and I haven't studied enough, and I probably shouldn't say this, but um, I don't know if we will be able, or I think we will be able to recognize ourselves because well, let me back, I I shouldn't say that because I haven't studied that (laughs) enough. Apologize for that, but just imagine if you are able to recognize your your fellow classmates, your husband, your wife in heaven. And imagine you're there and they're not there. How much hurt that would give you. How much pain you would feel. All because you chose this worldly life, these idols over serving God. Matthew 25 and verse 46, the great separation that's... Some will go to everlasting punishment, while others will go to eternal life. Do you want to live in eternal punishment? I, I don't like pain, and I don't like inflicting pain on my son when he don't listen. But imagine eternal punishment every day, every hour, every minute, every second is pain. Why would you want to wait and risk that for something that, that you're, you enjoy of this world? I don't understand. If you will, let's go to Hebrews chapter 9. We're going to read verse 27. Me and this sister was talking earlier, as I mentioned a while ago, and we're never promised tomorrow, but yet we live our life as if we have, you know, the next 10 years, the next 15 years, the next 30 years. Hebrews nine twenty-seven says, and as it is appointed unto men... Wants to die. And after this is the judgment. You're going to die one day. It's, it's, it, it's going to happen. But we just don't know what day. As Tony was saying earlier, don't wait for this perfect scenario to become a Christian. If it's 2 o'clock in the morning, you call someone and you become a Christian at 2 o'clock in the morning. Because as James states in James 4, verse 14, our life is but a vapor. It's here for a second, then it vanishes away. Sometimes we live as if we're going to get another chance. We have things that happen in our life that are uh, rock bottom, so to speak, and we think, okay, this is the time where I'm going to obey the gospel. And then you get out of that situation and you continue living as if nothing ever happened. Today's the day of salvation, second Corinthians six and verse two. Today's the day that you should choose to become a Christian because you once, as we read in Hebrews nine twenty seven, we will die. So as we kind of recap what the first-century church did, they simply relied on the Word of God. They were identified by a name, the Church of Christ. They were called Christians by following Christ. That They believed that the power was in the Gospel, not the messenger. They had obedient faith. They were buried in baptism for the remission of their sins. The Lord added them to the church once they were obedient. They worshiped just like God had laid out the plan for They believe that the wicked would would be punished for eternity and that today is the day of salvation. It's a blessing to be able to be here. I'm sure there are some people that would love to be here, but their health will not allow them to be here. Me and Tony were talking earlier last week about when we're not at services, we miss being at services. You miss the singing. You miss seeing everyone. You miss hearing the Word of God spoken. What are you waiting for? Those who followed the plan of God are called Christians. And the same could be said about you. If you're willing to obey the New Testament plan of salvation, if you're willing to put Christ on in baptism, if you're willing to confess your faults one before, one to another before us this morning or this afternoon, we would love to work with you, study with you, anything that we could do that possibly could lead you to have eternal life in heaven. If you have any need, we ask that you stand as we sing.